My name is Aaron Wardle. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and I have two reasons that I'm very excited. One, to be in this room. This is my first time in this room. It's pretty awesome. I think we just use the other one for storage. We'll just stay here for a while. The other thing is, if you have a chance, our beloved Carrie Casada is back from sabbatical. This is her first Sunday. You could just give a roaring round of applause. She's not in here, but it's so good to have her back. As just said, we are going to be kicking off a new series, and it's going to be called The Prayers of the Saints. And what we're going to be doing is, over the next month, for the month of July, we're going to glean from the words of well-loved prayers. We're going to explore their biblical backgrounds, and we're going to look to see how we can implement these into our lives. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a tradition where all prayer was spontaneous, and that was the way you were supposed to pray. You make it up as you go. But one of the things is as I continue to grow on my journey, that there's something so powerful about reading prayers that have been written decades and centuries ago and aligning ourselves to those prayers and allowing those prayers to give us words when we don't have words, allowing those prayers to ground us to the communion of saints, the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and allowing us to be guided into places that we may not have chosen to go. Richard Foster, he says this about written prayers. They help us articulate the yearnings of our heart, that cry for expression. Sometimes it is hard for us to find the words to say what we feel. At times we do not feel up to praying, and the words of a written prayer prime the pump, as we say. Then too, written prayers help us enter into the communion of saints. We can offer up to the throne of grace the very words that have been prayed by followers of the way for many generations. And so over these next weeks, we're going to be looking at the prayer of St. Francis. Next week, we'll be looking at St. Patrick's breastplate prayer. Then after that, the daily Shema prayer, followed by the prayer of St. Teresa of Avila. And we'll wrap up at the end of the month with the serenity prayer written by Reinhold Niebuhr. And that these prayers, again, give us words when we don't have words that they ground us to something that's gone before us and that they guide us into places. Because I know when I pray, it's usually for the things I want, but when I read these pray prayers, I go, well, I never would have asked for that, but I probably should. <laughs> and it leads us into that. And so today what we're gonna do is we're going to drop into a prayer that has many different names and a fascinating story. It's been called a simple prayer, the prayer for courage, but it's most well known as the prayer of St. Francis. So will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here. It's good to be with you. Lord, I ask that this is not a sermon, but I'm simply setting up my friends to go out on a journey to explore, explore the beauty and the power of this prayer. That this is just like a base camp right now, packing things up as they head out on this exploration. Holy Spirit, I pray you ride in on these words that have been passed down, illuminate them, and may they match our hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Well, I wanna read that prayer again. That was what we did when we read that responsively back and forth. And I must be honest, I was a little bit emotional as we did that because you have an idea for something going, oh, this will be cool. And then when I heard us saying those words together, 
it kind of went past cool and it was profound. I don't know if you felt that, but that there was something powerful about that, of us in one voice saying that together. But this prayer says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born in eternal life. Amen. My first introduction to this prayer, probably unbeknownst to me, was as growing up in the church, I'm sure I've seen it in some kitschy art in a Christian bookstore. I'm sure I've seen it where there's a lot of plaques and it has it, it was on a plate, it was decorative, it's all over, it just becomes scenery. Have you ever seen that? That something that's profound gets put on so many things it just becomes scenery and you don't even see it anymore. Well, I'm sure most of my life I grew up with this, but the first time I remember seeing this was in the year 2000, so 23 years ago, and I was sitting behind the desk of the director of recruitment enrollment at Ashland Theological Seminary. And for the life of me, I don't know why I was behind his desk. Usually I should be in front of his desk, but I was behind the desk, feet up, like I owned the place. And I looked over to the side, and on the, the, this old wood desk, there was a handwritten note in his own hand, and it said, Lord, make me an instrument of peace. And I had this prayer written out. And I remember reading that and going, that's amazing. And I was probably first attracted to it because it said instrument of peace. And being a musician, my mind began to, to, to go to this idea of Ephesians 2.10 where it says, we are the craftsmanship, the workmanship of God, created new in Christ Jesus for good works. And the idea that we have been crafted as the masterpiece of God and that we are an instrument in his hands. And so my mind kind of went to that of going, wow, that is something worth praying and living, that I would be an instrument in the hands of the master musician, and that what comes from that would be a melody of beauty and peace. I remember also just thinking about it, that it could be an instrument in the hands of a surgeon that was mending. But as I first saw this, I went, this is something I want to make a part of my life. And so I went on an exploration studying about St. Francis and reading about him and the life that he lived, and I was at this one conference, and I made the, I won't say mistake, but I mentioned to this woman who turned out to be a Franciscan nun that I was enamored with Francis. Now, you don't lay down that you know something about St. Francis to a Franciscan nun. So I just made a fool of myself, and so the next day she came with a tote of all of these books and said, here, I think you might want to check these out, which was a super nun way of saying, you're an idiot. <laughs> And let's remedy that ignorance. And so I began to just be enamored with this, but it began to solidify more and more when about six or seven years ago, there's a group of us musicians that were in a band, and we originally called ourselves the Brothers Ward after Philip and Ward Mitchell, uh, Philip and, uh, and Philip and Mitchell Ward. There you go. I don't know why we named it after them, but we just did. And then after a while we said, look, I think we're going to name it something else. And so we named it Francis and the Wolf. And we would go in and we would play around the front range. And I'd always seen on like VH1 behind the music and all these things that the band would get together before their show and they would say something together. You know, they'd have a chant or a prayer. And so I was like, listen, guys, 
we're going to pray St. Francis's prayer. And so before we go on stage, before they put us in a corner of a bar, wherever we are in some place filled with shenanigans, um, we pray this prayer together. And it's been quite profound. Initially, it was just like, this is a good idea. And then it began to say, wow, this is actually setting the tone for what we're to do in this place. Because oftentimes we're going into an environment we have no idea what to expect. And really no one cares that we're there. We're supposed to be background noise, but we're so loud that we overrun the place. But one of the things that began to see is as we began to pray this prayer is to say, may this little band be an instrument of peace that are ambassadors of the peace of God. And may we shift the atmosphere that it might be a place where people experience love and peace and joy. And it's been a lot of fun. But there's been this transformation that's happened with this prayer. That it became not just a rote prayer written years ago. And not just a ritual. But it kind of became a revival for us. And that's what it's done for me. As I look at this prayer. And as I began to incorporate this into my life, I've been realizing something's happening. That this prayer is that I will be an instrument of peace, but two things are happening. That I will be peace for people, but its very words is bringing a transformation of peace into my life. And this is accidental. I just thought I was reading this prayer. But the words begin to ruminate. And a revival begins to happen. I'd like to tell you a little bit about this prayer, give you a little history. You ever thinking, well, you ever think you know something and you're like, yep, and you say it with a lot of confidence, only to kind of find out it's not true? Am I the only one? <laughs> Francis of Assisi didn't write this prayer. The prayer of St. Francis was not written by St. Francis. And so as you go and begin to look at it and saying, yes, we are praying this ancient prayer that has been around since the 1100s. No. This prayer has only been around since the 19th century. The, the first recorded version of this prayer was in 1911, 1912, in a French Franciscan publication called The Little Bell. And it was a prayer written anonymously, and it was called A Beautiful Prayer to Say During Mass. Very creative title. They believed in branding being very specific at this time. This is a beautiful prayer to say during Mass. But the first time this prayer breaks on the scene is in 1911, 1912. St. Francis lived in the 1100s. In the, in the end of the 1100s, uh, the 1100 to the beginning of, of 1200s. And so this prayer is circulated in this little country magazine, this little country publication in 1912, and then four years later, it makes its way to the Vatican, to St. Benedict the 15th. St. Benedict the 15th thinks, wow, this is an amazing prayer, and so they publish it in one of the, the, the Vatican publications, and it begins to spread a little bit further. Finally, in 1920, a group took a picture of St. Francis, and on the back, they wrote this prayer. Now, since it didn't, the title of the prayer was a simple prayer, they thought the picture meant he wrote it. And so they're like, well, I guess he's on the front. This is what he said on the back. That settles it. But he didn't write it. Then in, the in 1927, when a group of Protestants got a hold of this, they started to say, yep, St. Francis wrote this. 
So when you don't know something, just say it emphatically and it will become truth. But this prayer began to make its way. And during World War II and after World War II, the prayer began to spread like wildfire all over the world. And I love this because there could be nothing more Francis than having a prayer that wasn't written by Francis that grew by grassroots movement. Because St. Francis was this amazing saint that lived, like I said, in the 11th, 1200s. And as his youth, he grew up in a home that was very uh, well-to-do. His father was a textile uh, merchant, and he had a lot of things, and he lived a very affluent, he lived a very hedonistic life. Eventually, as he got older, he went into the, the, uh, a war, and he was injured. And when they brought him back, he had this conversion experience through reading the life of Jesus and the life of the saints, very similar to St. Ignatius. And Francis had this profound encounter with Jesus that absolutely revolutionized his life. And he dedicated his entire life to living radically following in the footsteps of Jesus through simplicity and poverty. When the Lord came to him and he heard almost audibly, the Lord said to Francis, his name wasn't Francis at the time, but we'll just leave it there. The Lord came to him and said, I want you to rebuild my church. And I love what he did next because he didn't get together and going, met with a graphic artist. He didn't have a mission statement. He didn't get a website. He went out to the outskirts of a town of Assisi to where there was a rundown little chapel. And he literally started to rebuild the stones. And he went in and he mopped the floor. And he went into the place, the ambry, where there would have been the presence of Jesus through the bread and the wine. And he cleaned it out and he brushed it out. He said, the Lord told me to rebuild his church. And so he went to the most smallest little place and he began to do his work specifically. Isn't that beautiful? He took the Lord at his word. And he was faithful to that little scene. And then he began to move on to the next place and the next place. And there's legends of Francis that are just absolutely crazy and wonderful. And there's very little factually written about him. There's a time where, we got, where, where our band name comes from where there's a legend that there was a wolf that was killing the livestock and a people of a village. And they tried to kill the wolf and no one could kill the wolf. And they said, well, why don't we go get Francis of Assisi? Let's get Francis. And so Francis came in and he went up to the wolf and he saw the wolf was hurt and hungry. He said to himself, I've never heard any of God creation. And so he made a wager with the wolf. He said, hey, if we feed you and give you shelter, will you protect this village? And legend has it that the wolf protected the village for a generation. And the idea is that compassion destroys violence. There's a story also that St. Francis believes so much in loving his enemies that during the fifth crusade in 1219, he traveled with a single companion into enemy lines during the fifth crusade into the land of Egypt. And there he was captured by the Sultan of Egypt, made his way through and began to have conversations with the Sultan of Egypt, who was a Muslim about peace and love because he believed that you're to love your enemies that much. I just love the way Francis' life, and that, that there's this prayer attributed to him, that isn't written by him, but friends, if you could synthesize the story 
and the lessons from his life, it's in this prayer. It wasn't written by Francis, but it's really a synthesis of his theology. As we move into this prayer, we see that there are four movements. There's four movements in this prayer, and it begins with this powerful statement, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And I love how this begins, like I said before, because there's connotations that we are an instrument, a finely crafted masterpiece instrument in the hands of God, and the music we make is the peace of God. Or like a surgeon, and we see the surgical tool instrument that mends the world. The next thing that we see in this movement, and this is where it begins to move into that second section where it says, where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. As we move into this, the prayer is a call for a revolution. It's a challenge for a revolution to say, Everywhere you see this, you now know how to act. And Lord, give me the power, the strength, and the courage to be an instrument of your peace. When I get a sense to say, you know what, there's something going on here. It seems to be this is hatred. I know what to do. And so there is a call that the first section is a request. The second section is a revolution. We move into the next part of the prayer that says, oh, divine master, Grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. We see that in this there's a reset because it's resetting what we are to do. I'm going to talk about this in a moment because this is the place I've been living in. But basically what he is saying is when you show up, pray that the Lord will give you the strength to not get something but to give something. There's a resetting, how we show up. We show not to get comfort, but to give comfort. Not to get understanding, but to give understanding. And the final thing in this prayer is in the last section where it says that is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we find eternal life that this is a reminder for us as we read this in St. Francis' prayer, or his not prayer, <laughs> the prayer of courage, a simple prayer. It's a reminder that the kingdom of God works very different than the kingdom of this world, that we live in an upside-down kingdom. Does that make sense? The final line is saying, this echoes of the scriptures where it is saying, be reminded that in the world you seek to advance one way, but in the kingdom it's upside down. As you give away, you get. As you forgive, you're forgiven. And as you die, you find life. Now, as I look at this prayer, and I'm going to drop in just for a moment, and we've got a little bit of time here, so I, I kind of want to walk down through these. And again, I just want to set this up. This is less of a sermon for me to tell you, let me espouse this wisdom to you. Really, all I want to do is, this is just simply say, friends, I found a prayer that is revolutionizing my life. And some of my friends who have wandered and have wrestled with their relationship with God have found their way back to Jesus and forward with Jesus through this prayer. 
And I just want to invite you to an exploration. Because this prayer is not just eloquent words that were synthesized of Francis's theology into a wonderful poem. But can you hear the echoes of scripture through this? When you read it going, oh, I would have mistaken this for scripture. This should be one of, in one of Paul's epistles, shouldn't it? But it wasn't. And I'm just going to give you a little bit. I won't go through all of them, but just a little bit of a biblical background. Because in each line of this prayer, it echoes scripture. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Well, we see that Jesus on, in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the peacemaker, for they were called children of God. We see in Psalms, it says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Where there is hatred, so love. Paul challenges the church of Galatia. He says, let us not be weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we... Have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. First Peter backs up where there is injury pardoned by saying, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. James backs up the line where it is where there is faith where there is doubt, let there be faith. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The letter, second letter to Corinthians backs up where there is despair, where it says we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. The Gospel of John backs up where there is darkness, light, and it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'll give you one more. The book of Psalms, verse 30, chapter 30 says, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise your name forever. And that backs up where there is sadness, joy. And you can go over and over and over all of these to see that this prayer really is a synthesizing not only of the theology of St. Francis, but it's really the teachings of Jesus and the writings of Paul and the echoes of the Psalms. And in a little bit, I'm going to lead you to a resource where we have all those scriptures there. But I, what I want to do is I want to drop in for a second into this place where I've been stuck for a while. I've been stuck and captured in the section that I called the reset. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand to be loved as to love. When I read this, I think it's absolutely profound. And it is not my tendency. It's not my natural behavior to show up in relationships or at work to go, here I am. I don't want to be comforted. I'd like to comfort someone. Here I am. I don't need to be understood. I just want to understand. 
Here I am. I don't want to be loved. I just want to love. That's not the way I am. Does anybody else could agree if you're really honest? We mostly show up at work and in relationships to get something rather than to give something. And this prayer has been revolutionizing me in such a way to be able to allow the Lord to rewire how I show up and to reset my perspective. I had the opportunity a few months ago to go to this event with a group of songwriters. And I had an expectation of what that was going to look like. And upon arrival, all of my expectations were destroyed and it was very different than I expected. I thought I was entering into a small group of songwriters who we were going to sit together, encourage one another, and, you know, mutual admiration. And when I got there, it was like 70 people. And another thing is when I got there, I realized as I looked around, son of a goat, I'm one of the oldest. (laughs) And I'm looking around, and I remember just feeling like, As I was in this situation, I had showed up with a set of expectation. And as I'm there, the anxiety that I always have went from living with a constant six to a 27 on a 10 scale. I I was in full fight or flight. Like, please, someone look at me wrong because I want to get in a fight just to be kicked out of this place. I don't want to be here anymore. My anxiety was through the roof. I I was uncomfortable. And I began to just realize, I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to sneak out. No one's going to notice. And he's like, they will notice when you just leave in the middle, like storm off like a child. Because you're not small, and this room is not very big. (laughs) But my anxiety was through the roof as I'm sitting here and going, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't how I expected to come to this place. And I remember just feeling like just this, this, where... um, Yeah, you get it, where it's just that tightness, and it's moved from being a cognitive, emotional, to now it's physical. And I physically just feel anxious, and I just don't want to be there. And so I grab my, what Brian calls, my book of feelings. (laughs) Most people call it a journal. Young girls call it a diary. (laughs) Or boys, I don't know. Um, But I grab my book of feelings, and I just began to write, because I was like, I've got to calm down, and I've got to figure out a way. And the words of St. Francis, well, actually not St. Francis, the words of the prayer, began to ruminate and began to do something. Because the Lord began to take this as a prayer that I would do something else, and it began to like, this may sound weird, it began to pray in me. Aaron, what if you flip this, and instead of coming to this place to be comforted and encouraged, you flip it. And you comfort people and encourage them. What if instead of coming to this place to be understood, and I don't know, I mean, that sometimes that seems weird to say, like, well, I want to be understood. But really, at the basis of the value of being understood, it's to be known, to be recognized. And as I sat in that room feeling absolutely just, I just, I just felt unrecognized and unknown for who I was or what I had brought. And the Lord began to just change that and say, What if these next few days are not about you being understood, but you helping other people be understood? 
And what if this is not about you being loved, but you get to create an environment where other people feel loved and they feel like they belong? What if this is not about you, Aaron? Lord, that's not how we roll. This one's supposed to be like a retreat, which is supposed to all be about me then. But he began to flip this, and I, it took me a while because I was really at a high level of anxiety. But at that point, something began to change in my chemistry and in my body. And that rewiring, that shifting of a perspective to go not to get, but to give, all of a sudden, it began to be peace and actually liking it. Have you ever been in that type of a space where you step into something and going, oh, this isn't what I thought it was? And instantly your reaction is fight or flight. But I believe that this prayer, and this is what it's doing for me, is offering a reset in such a way to align ourselves with Jesus that we say, oh, divine master, the one whom I get all I need from, May I not look at everybody else to be giving me what I need, but may I look to you, and then when I show up in a group, or with my children, or with my wife, or with my friends, or playing music, that I'm not going into every situation to get something, but to give something. And that it begins to bring not only a peace to the people I'm around, but a peace to my own soul. I love how that line I may not seek to be consoled, but to console. Echoes 1 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I'm giving what I've already got from God. And this prayer has become a challenge. It is almost praying within me. Each one of these, to not seek to be understood, but to understand, echoes Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And finally, Romans 12 10 backs up to be loved as to love. Romans 12 says, love one another with brotherly affection. I love how the NIV puts this. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's a competition. I'm going to love you more than you love me. Oh, no, I'm not. And it gets like, like, like when teenagers are dating and they're on the phone, now they do it texting, no, I love you more than, and, but this idea that we enter into a situation not to get something, but to give something. And I invite you for an experiment to begin to see how this works in your life. That when you show up at work, because I know many times at the end of a meeting, my goal is, I want to make sure that I've been heard and that they understand what I want. But instead to be, I want to make sure others have been heard and that they feel understood, that they feel loved, that they feel comforted because that creates safety. It creates a place of being known. It creates a place of belonging. Does this all make sense? 
Is this prayer beautiful? I got some questions for you. And I want you to just think about this for a second. In our world, and in the world that you live in, do you see evidence in this time and season of hate, of injury, of doubt, of darkness, and sadness? Do you see evidence of these things? Do you think, this is the next question, do you think that the world that you live in, not the big world, but in the environment that you're in, could use more love? Could it use more love? Could it use more forgiveness? Could it use more faith? Could it use more light? And could it use more joy? The question that I ask with this is, if your answers to this is yes, I see evidence of these things that are negative, and I believe that the environment needs more of these things that are of the kingdom. My question for you is, could the Lord begin, could the Lord be speaking to you by name and saying, hey, I want you to be my instrument of peace. And this is how I want you to live it out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And what I want to do is this invitation. John, do we have that number that people can text? Look at that. So what I want to do is what we've set up is our incredibly brilliant and talented graphic designer and creative director, Tim Caressel, has created a digital prayer book. And if you will text this number with the keyword Francis, I encourage you to do it right now. See what happens. What's going to happen is it's going to send you a PDF and it's going to have the prayer of St. Francis or the prayer, the simple prayer, the prayer of courage, whatever you want to call it. And then what it's going to have is, as you scroll down, it'll have each section separated and under it will be a scripture. And what I want us to do, again, this is base camp. I want to invite you to begin to digest and make this prayer your prayer. And so you, what I invite you is every day in the morning, Pray the simple prayer. And then as you scroll down, you'll see that there's a line where it'll say, Lord, make me an instrument of peace. And there'll be a few scriptures. Read those scriptures. And then think and pray for a moment and ask the Spirit of God, how do you want me to do this and live this out today? Does that make sense? You download the prayer. You read the first part. Then you take each section and the scripture and then ask the Lord a simple question. How do you want me to live this out today? And then this would be a fun thing for, for individuals, for their married and families and friends to be able to say at the end of the day, maybe text a friend and say, this is where I saw this. And allow this prayer to be something that is not just a rote prayer that was written in the early 1900s. Allow this not to just be a ritual, but allow the words of this prayer to begin to be a revival that leads you in following the way of Jesus as Francis followed in the way of Jesus. And so this is what I want to do to close. I want to bless you with this prayer. I want to pray it over you. So if you close your eyes and just take a posture of receiving. 
And now, may the Lord craft you into an instrument of his peace. Where there is hatred, may you sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. May Jesus, the Messiah, our divine master, empower you to not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is giving that you receive. It is in pardoning that you are pardoned, and it is in dying that you are born to eternal life. I bless you with these things in the name of Jesus. And may he begin a journey and do all he wants to do. We pray these things in his name. Amen.